Well, we've already prayed, so I'll just go straight into it. Well, um, wildernesses are lonely places, and that's why they're called wildernesses. Okay, in a wilderness, you won't find shops, you won't find food, you won't find people, you will find nothing. And I wonder, if you were facing a wilderness today, who would you like to go into that wilderness with? Maybe the first person that comes to your head is Bear Grylls. Wouldn't you like to go into a wilderness with Bear Grylls? and feed on cactuses and whatever else you might find. In fact, this morning I, was, I did a Google search uh, for Bear Grylls and I came across this. Mission survival expert gives 10 tips that could save your life in the wilderness. Let me read through some of these here. Okay, we've got keep calm and carry on surviving. There you go. Only an Englishman would come up with a survival tip like that, wouldn't he? Next one, face your fear. Okay, yep, so there you go. Um, three Take charge early. Okay, get on with it. Um, There are no rules is number four. Um, Number five, look after yourself first. Hmm, okay. Um, Six, question and study everything in your surroundings. Seven, listen to the voice inside your head. Eight, become a Jane or Jack of all trades. Um, Eight, build a solid routine. And finally, laugh. There you go. If you're in a wilderness, you know how to survive. Follow those rules and you'll be fine, says Bear Grylls. Well, that's probably taking him a little too, um, not taking him seriously enough there. Uh, But but the reality is, we all go through um, journeys in life, parts of our life, that feel like wildernesses, don't we? Where, where, Where there are things that we just can't find what we need to feel like we survive. We feel like we're lost, wandering around aimlessly, not being able to find what we're looking for. And all of us can relate to that kind of feeling. But the thing is, in the Bible, the theme of wilderness comes up over and over again. Right back to the beginning of the Bible, right through, God leads his people often through wildernesses. If you go back to the story of Exodus, God takes his people into the wilderness and he leads them for 40 years. Okay, and then, and then later on, when, he, when, he, when, he's, uh, when Elijah is struggling in his faith, where does God lead him? God leads him to a wilderness where he feeds him and cares for him in the middle of that wilderness. And over and over again, this theme of wilderness appears in the Bible. And the message is, 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 in one sense, is this, that the people who trust Jesus, who follow Jesus, will end up in wildernesses. And the question is then, if, if, if without God we end up in wildernesses, and even as we follow God, we end up in the wilderness, what then is the point of following Jesus? What's the point of being a Christian if we all share that same experience? We want to get out of the wilderness. We want a life of abundance and joy and happiness where we have all the food we want, all the water we want. Why would we follow Jesus into a wilderness? Because that's what happens in this story on two occasions. We've just read about how Jesus led his disciples into a wilderness into a quiet, solitary place where there wasn't anywhere to buy food. And then later on, Jesus pushes his disciples into a boat and sends them out into the storm. Following Jesus, obeying Jesus, will lead us to places that we don't want to be. So why then will we bother as Christians? Why should we cling to Jesus? Why should we follow him? Well, the answer in the Bible over and over again is that if you are with God wildernesses are never hopeless. There's meaning in the wilderness. God teaches us things in the wilderness about his provision, about his care, about his love. So with God in the wilderness, there is hope. 
There is reason. Without God, you will face weaknesses, wildernesses, but without hope and without reason. And this wilderness that they, they, have, they end up in today has purpose. And Jesus what leads his disciples there to teach them some important lessons. So today we're going to learn three lessons from the wilderness. Okay, so the first thing I'd like us to look, to, to look at is this. In tiredness, we meet his compassion. In tiredness, we meet his compassion. So in verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus. They reported to him all they'd done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they didn't have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves and they got into a boat to go to a solitary place. See, the disciples just before this had been sent out on a mission trip without Jesus to, to go and proclaim the gospel to, to, to the towns and villages around. And, and they'd gone out and they had a wonderful time. And they'd come back all excited to Jesus. They want to tell Jesus all about what they've seen and done. That, that they spoke to demons and demons fled. And that they preached the gospel and people responded. And they're excited and they just want to tell Jesus. And, and Jesus, well, he wants to hear. He, he wants to build up his disciples. But there's just no opportunity there in this place. And because because people are just coming and interrupting them all the time to the point where they didn't even have a chance to eat. So they're hungry and they're tired. So Jesus wants to give them rest, which is a beautiful thing. They've worked hard. They deserve some rest. So, so they get in a boat and they sail to the other side where nobody else is. But rest is not coming. If you look at verse 33, many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. They, they, they knew where Jesus was headed and they legged it as fast as they could around the lake to get there first. And they do arrive there first. They ran with all their might to get there because they, they just wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to be in his presence. They wanted to be wherever he was, even if that was in the middle of a wilderness. And they get there and crowds are waiting for them. The people were desperate to hear from Jesus. And how, do, how does Jesus respond? Jesus is tired. The disciples are tired. The crowds are tired. Well, have you ever been in that kind of place where you've, you've put all your energy into doing something and you're physically exhausted? And then you find you, you're just ready for rest. You're ready to go to bed. And then you realize there is something you haven't done that you must do. Had this experience recently when I was working on my studies. You know, I'd, I'd been keeping up with it. I'd been trying my hardest. I'd been racing ahead to kind of make sure I had everything in on time. And then I find out that I'd missed a whole section. There was another 10 hours of work that I had to get done in a couple of days. Have you ever felt like that? You're just going to think, no, I just need my sleep. I just need my rest. I deserve to go to bed right now. But you can't get there. Well, imagine that times... A hundred. And that's how the, the, the apostles will be feeling right now. They've been sent out on a mission trip. They've come back. And now they've got thousands and thousands of people to serve. And how does Jesus react? Verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. He doesn't shout, go away. Get lost. You've had your piece of me already. You know, I need my rest. I need my beauty sleep. Leave me alone. 
He doesn't say that. He looks at them and he's got compassion on them. And, and, and that word compassion is a, is a word that's kind of lost on us a little bit because the Greek word kind of, it literally means his bowels, all his internal organs are aching within him. It's like there's this gut-wrenching ache that Jesus has as he sees this crowd before him and he sees their need and their desperation for Jesus that, that he's aching for them. His compassion is deep. He is in love with them in their need. You know that feeling, if you're parents, you'll understand that feeling. Maybe you can imagine this if you're not. When you see your children in pain or hurting, there's a, there's a, there's a type of cry that, that my kids give, which is um, where I know they're not really hurting, that they're making it up. You know that cry? But then there's the other cry that just goes right through you to the core of your being, and your chest just constricts, and, and you feel like you've literally been punched in the stomach. Well, that's the kind of compassion that Jesus had for this crowd. Why did he have such compassion for them? Well, we're told in the second half of that verse. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus didn't just see a mass of people. He saw a crowd of people that were in a desperate spiritual situation. You know, when sheep wander off, and they don't have a shepherd around them, what happens to sheep without shepherds? They get eaten by wolves. They fall off cliffs. They get stolen by thieves. They get cooked for dinner. Sheep without shepherd are in peril. And Jesus looks at them and he sees that this crowd of people are in peril. They need a good shepherd. Jesus sees their spiritual need and he teaches them, we're told at the end of that verse. He, despite his personal exhaustion, he continues to love this crowd of people. Jesus never turns away someone who is searching for help. Jesus never turns away someone who is desperate in need of compassion. Jesus always pours out of himself to love those in the crowd. He is a good shepherd. What an amazing shepherd we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Jesus shared his Father's heart for lost people. So much that we're told in the Bible that Jesus left the throne of heaven where he was living in perfect peace and harmony with angels surrounding him and he came down to Israel to wander poor and barefoot through the wilderness in the hot sun to find lost people who are in desperate need of a shepherd to bring them to the perfect love of the Father. Here we see his heart for people and his heart for the lost. And that's the same heart Jesus has for us today. You know, as Jesus is in heaven now looking down, he is looking down in our, our situation. He's looking down at this room of people. He sees the needs, the, the, the things that are going on in our lives, the hurts that we're carrying, the burdens that we're, that we're weighed down with. And how does he look upon us? With compassion. As we come to church desperate and hungry to hear from him because we don't know how we're going to get through the week, 
Jesus is looking upon us with compassion and he longs to feed us and he's given us his word to feed from so that we today can know that he has compassion on us and he loves us. That's why we're gathered here today. But we're not sheep without a shepherd if we trust Jesus. We are sheep with a good shepherd. Are you feeling lost today? Are you in search of something more? Are you desperate? Do you just feel like you're wandering around in a wilderness? Well, here, Jesus is inviting you. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is saying, don't search out there for compassion. You won't find it. Come to me, and I will give you perfect compassion that will never fade. And he will never turn you away. You may feel like, well, who am I? that God would love me in my need. I mean, I'm nothing. I'm a no one. Why would he care for me? Well, if Jesus, well, he had all the weaknesses of humanity and would feel exhausted and tired, if Jesus in that state of existence would never turn someone away, he will not turn you away if you come to him today while he is infinitely powerful and never grows weary. If you come to Jesus, you will find a shepherd who loves you, who will guide you and lead you, and compassion and love. So that's the first thing today. In the wilderness, we find his compassion. And the second lesson I want us to see is in our weakness, we find his provision. In our weakness, we find his provision. Imagine how the disciples must be feeling at this point. You know, they, they, were, they were tired when they got off the boat, and then they've, they've been looking after 5,000 people with Jesus as Jesus has been teaching, and, and now that they, they're getting hungry. I mean, they were hungry before. They must be really hungry now. Uh, and they, they're seeing that the shops are closing in the distance, and they're thinking, what are we going to do? We need to get rid of these crowds so that we can get some food. And perhaps they see an opportunity here. And they're thinking, you know, we know Jesus loves these people. And Jesus will never send them away you know, it, it, while he's still got something to give. But let's point out the fact that they're hungry. And then Jesus will let them go. And then perhaps we can get some food. You know, because the disciples are probably feeling that word now, which is, which is growing in our society, which is always mentioned in our house, hangry. Do you know hangry? I think we've said it before from the pulpit before, hangry. It's when you are so hungry and tired that it comes out in anger. You can imagine that this is bubbling away inside the disciples, and now they've got their opportunity. Jesus, send them away. It's the compassionate thing to do. And then you really, on the inside, you're thinking, I need some grub. Okay? But then Jesus sees his opportunity. He wants to teach the disciples a lesson. And he says to them in verse 17, you give them something to eat. What? <laughs> what? Jesus uses this opportunity to teach the apostles, who are the church in seed form. From these 12 will, will come the whole church. He's teaching the apostles and he's teaching the church. He's teaching us a lesson about compassion for his lost sheep. About a desire to love and serve and care for his lost sheep. He's been teaching, he's been feeding his lost sheep, and now he wants his church to do the same, to feed his people. And the disciples' response is an obvious one. In the NIV it says this, 
Um, Lord, that would take more than half a year's wages. Where are we going to go and spend that much money on bread to give them to eat? Or in other words, sort of a modern translation, are you crazy? Are you nuts? But you wouldn't say that to Jesus, would you? But that's probably what they're thinking. Isn't that what you'd be thinking? It's expensive. We don't have enough to feed all those people. You see, the disciples are looking into their pockets rather than looking to the one who is speaking to them. You know, often, isn't that what blocks our compassion for people? We kind of look out into the world and we see great needs. We see whole parts of the world that are starving. We hear about Christian persecution and we hear about Christians who are facing um, death and imprisonment every day. And we, we hear about great needs of the gospel. You know, did you know that, that right now in the world, according to, to, to the Joshua Project, 3.1 billion people in this world today of 7 billion people are considered unreached. And that's, that's out there in the world. I mean, what about just here locally in Chesington? 20,000 people living in Chesington roughly? That means 19,500 people in Chesington are sheep without a shepherd who are in desperate need. of They don't know how to get through life and they're, they're struggling. How are we going to make a difference in Chesington, let alone the ends of the earth? And often we look at, at, at the great need and then we look at our pockets and we say, oh, there's nothing I can do. I mean, what, 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 can we, what, what, what can we do? What resources have we got? You know, we, we can't. It's at that moment we, we, we want to cancel the prayer letter. It's at that moment we want to turn off the TV. We want to just try and pretend the problems aren't there because it just feels too big for a burden for us to carry. So our compassion goes as deep as our wallets do. And often that isn't deep enough. So Jesus says to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. He says, go and use, go find out what you can, then bring it to me. You know, they managed to rustle up enough to feed a small boy. You know, we know from other gospels that this actually is one boy's lunchbox. That's what it is. One little boy's brought his own packed lunch. Everybody else has forgotten. And this little boy is willing to bring it to Jesus. And then Jesus takes this packed lunch in verse 41, taking the five loaves of the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves and he gave them to his disciples to distribute them to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied. Jesus took these, this little insignificant little boys, insignificant little packed lunch, five small loaves, two fish, and the little boy was willing to give it to Jesus and then Jesus used it used this little to feed the multitudes until everyone is fed and everyone is full and everyone is gorged and in this story there's an echo of Exodus it's a really strong powerful echo because in in Exodus as, as God's people are wandering through the wilderness and they're facing hunger how does God provide for them he brings forth bread from heaven doesn't he And here we get this picture that that reminds us that this one who is with the disciples is in fact the one who provided bread for his people in the wilderness. The the, the difference is there, bread fell down from heaven. But in this story, the bread came through his church to the people. We're reminded that God is among them. God is with them.
You know, Jesus says to the church in seed form, he says, look, if you're willing to give your little to me, if you're willing to, 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 to bring the little that you have and, and put it to my purposes, you see, have great compassion on the world and just find out what you do have, bring it to me in prayer and then use it, do something with it, just see what I can do to feed my people. And I'm going to do it through you, through the little that you have, through the little that you can do. Jesus says he will provide for his people. Jesus will bring the provision if we bring the little we have to him. So what about reaching the 3.1 billion people in the world? What can we do? We can look at our resources and we can find people that we can send out. We can support missions across the globe. We can meet on Tuesday night here as we pray for mission. Maybe you don't think you can give much, but why don't you come and give your little in that prayer meeting on Tuesday night and see what God can do through your prayers. We, we, we as a church could, could, could gather our resources and do our best to train up individuals like Will uh, and, um, and Sarah and Danny and, and to send them off into the world. Might not sound like much, but let's see what God can do through our little. Maybe you're thinking... There are people in your life group who are really, really struggling with needs that you just can't even handle. Well, well, don't ask the question, what can I do? I can do nothing. Ask the question, what what can I do? And do something. Prayerfully bring it to Jesus and serve. Well, what about, this is something I've faced recently with people. They look at the situation with their own children. Maybe they've got teenage children and they're thinking, what can we possibly do? They're losing their interest in the gospel and they seem to be wandering away they're still kind of on the fringes what can we do and you probe a little and you find out that they've never prayed with their children they've never read the bible with their children and it's almost it feels like it's too late to start doing that well don't look at what you can't do look at what you can do can you pray for your children every day can you find 15 minutes a week to sit down with them to listen to their needs and to point them to Jesus and to pray with them for the things that they're going through can you do that what can you do what can you bring what can you give to Jesus Because Jesus wants to feed his people, and we're told he wants to feed his people through us. Don't say my little is too little. Little as it may be, bring it to Jesus and see what he can do through you. You know, and in the end, how much did they end up with in verse 43? The disciples picked up the 12 baskets full of broken pieces and fish, and and, um, the number of men who who had eaten were 5,000. So that's not just the men. And then there's women and there's children, so this would be a massive crowd beyond that number. But the disciples all end up with a basket full of food. You know, that that little pathetic amount is brought to Jesus, and they end up with, with more than they can possibly eat for themselves. And Jesus is saying, look, if you give... And you give and you give to me in compassion. Then you, you just see what I can do. And I will satisfy you as well as you do it. You know, the thing is, you kind of hear stories like this. And you think, well, it must have been really easy for the disciples. Because they had Jesus with them, right? We, we don't have that. Um, we are in the wilderness and we are on our own. We're alone. What about when Jesus is not with you, when you can't feel his presence, when you don't know that he's there? 
Well, what leads you into that point? Well, that brings us to our final point. So we have, in, in our tiredness, we find his compassion. In our weakness, we find his provision. And finally, in our struggles, we find his presence. In our struggles, we find his presence. In verse 45, you've got that word, immediately. Jesus um, sends out the disciples on their own um, in the sea, and he sends the crowds away. You notice he could have done that earlier on if he wanted to, but he didn't. He sends them away satisfied and full. And he sends them away. And um, now it looks like Jesus is going to get some me time. But actually, that's not what he's doing, if you notice. He goes up to the mountainside to pray in verse 47 and 48. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land, and he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. He sent them out, and he went upon the mountainside, and he watched them as that boat went off on the lake. Jesus went up to pray to his father, and he was very likely praying for the ones he just sent out, watching them closely and carefully as, as their boat became a little dot in the distance, and he sees them straining at the oars. Isn't that a wonderful picture of what Jesus is doing right now as he's in heaven, as he's watching his people? Jesus never takes his eyes off his people. Even when he sends them off into storms, Jesus is watching them. He's watching over them and he's praying for them. But then in verse 48, as if it's the most natural thing in the world, shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake and he was about to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost and cried out because they all saw and were terrified. Jesus just goes for a stroll on the storm onto the lake to walk by them. Isn't that a strange little phrase? He was about to pass by. Isn't that odd? See, while I was studying this, I came across this, this cross-reference in Job. and I found this really interesting. In Job chapter 9, verses 8 and verse 11, listen to this. He alone stretches out the heavens... And treads on the waves of the sea. And when he passes me, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive. And Job is saying, look, I know God is out there somewhere. He's around us all the time, but I can't see him. I can't perceive him. And Job was a man who knew what struggles were. He's trying to cling on to faith in God in in that time. And he does cling on to, to, to faith in God. And I think that little image that we're given there is, is, is to show us, look, Jesus is on the, is, is on the lake. You might feel like he's, he's passing by, he, he, but, he, but he doesn't just pass by, he stops. He sees us, and he gets in our boat. He gets in the boat with the disciples. As they're terrified, he calls out to them, and he says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And in verse 51, he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed. In their distress and struggles, Jesus is always reachable, knowable, and touchable. He's not just watching over them. He's willing to walk on water, to be with them. Even in the storm, when it looks like they really are on their own, and it feels like Jesus is nowhere to be seen, Jesus is right out there, ready to get in the boat with them, watching them closely. When you know Jesus, when you follow Jesus, when you obey Jesus, you may be led into a wilderness. You may be led into a storm, but you will never be alone. You will never be alone. 
earlier on, I slept with a, a Bear Grylls right at the beginning. Do you remember that? Do you remember, there's, a t- there's a series of TV shows that they, they have on where Bear Grylls goes into the wilderness with famous celebrities. And there's this amazing episode, um, which I haven't seen the whole thing, but I've seen interviews of, and it's where um, Bear Grylls goes into the wilderness with Barack Obama. He goes into the wilderness with Barack Obama, and, and they end up eating a half-eaten piece of salmon that was mauled by a bear. You know, and you, it's just this interesting picture. You just see Obama and Bear Grylls out there in the middle of nowhere. And you're thinking, what a, how did they get themselves into that situation? Well, Bear Grylls says this about that experience. Because although it looked like they were alone on camera, they really weren't. This is what was going on in the background. He says they had this big black box that if anything went wrong, Barack Obama gets in that and he has all the nuclear codes. And then there's a big hook on top of it that a helicopter will grab and it will take that container away if he needs to get out of the place. They had like 60 Secret Service snipers on the mountains. I'm not joking. We had the whole four helicopters in the air. It was a crazy whole machine to watch. They actually put presidential toilets and loos every kilometer. Of course, none of them got used, he says. Okay, so, so it's just Barack Obama and Bear Grylls in the wilderness, but it's not. That's what it looks like as you're looking on, but the, all of the might of the American military is at Barack Obama's disposal. It's not that, that Barack Obama's safe because he's with Bear Grylls. Bear Grylls is safe because he's with Barack Obama. And it's like that with us. When we're going through our storms, Jesus is with us, walking the waves, willing to get into the boat with us, and the whole, all the resources of heaven are at his disposal. So when we're walking through the wilderness, we're never really alone. I remember talking to a, a Christian brother years ago. don't remember his name. He was a pastor at a church I went to visit uh, when I was working for London City Mission. And he'd just gone through um, a situation where he'd um, gone through a whole series of um, operations for, for brain cancer. And um, he, he tells a story of how um, while he was going through that, it was a horribly lonely time. Because he didn't know anybody else that had gone through that experience. And it was terrifying. And then one day he was told he had to have a brain scan. He had to go in one of those machines. It was like a big tube and you get scanned. You know, and he, he went inside that. He was, he was going to get ready to get inside that. And he was completely on his own. And, and nobody could go in there with him. And not only did he have to do this, on his own, he was claustrophobic. So he's facing this terrifying experience of going into this tube on his own and no one can go with him. No one can go through that with him. And then he shared with me. But then I realized Jesus would be there with me. Jesus would go through that with me. Jesus would hold my hand. Jesus would be present with me in the midst of that machine. And he knows exactly what I went through. Even if nobody else could. The presence of Jesus is a powerful thing. It says this in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you and the night will shine like the day for darkness is light to you. The final lesson of Jesus in the wilderness is you are never alone. 
His presence is with you. And they don't understand this. In verse 52, we're told they're completely amazed. For they did not understand about the loaves and their hearts were hardened. They didn't get it. The message of the loaves was, was God is with you. God will provide for you. The same God who provided for all of Israel in the desert is with you today. Water's no big deal for him. That's the lesson. And their hearts were hardened. And that, that gives me a little hope. That I don't always get this. My heart can often be hard. But it's not because I'm lacking evidence. It's not because God is distant from me. Because God comes close. Because after this, later on in Mark, Jesus went through his own wilderness. And he faced death on a cross, abandoned by everyone. Even his closest apostles would abandon him as he hung there on the cross. And we're told as he cries out at the top of his lungs, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we're told that he goes through that whole experience on his own. And why does he go through that on his own? To rescue us from our sins. And why does he go through that on his own? So that you and I will never be alone. Even though we deserve to be. He will always be with us. So the story goes on. So in our tiredness, we find his compassion. In our weakness, we find his provision. And in our struggles, we find his presence. And then the story ends as they get onto the other side of this lake. Not with rest. Not with sleep. But with more people coming because they want to hear about Jesus. And Jesus heals and teaches them all. And the ministry goes on, and the ministry continues, even to this day. And God is, Jesus is always reaching out with compassion. And that's what he calls us to do. So let's pray as we think this through. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the picture in this story, in this true story of Jesus' perfect compassion for all his children, for all the lost. We thank you, Lord, as we look at his compassion, we see his love and compassion for us. And I pray that as we see that for ourselves, as we see that for this community that he's gathered, Lord, we would see see his compassion for all those that are yet to be found and yet to be called, called on his name. And that we would burn with that same compassion by the power of your spirit. And that because of that great cause, Lord, we would go into this world and we would use our little and give it to you that Jesus might be our great provider and that he would do wonderful things around us and bring many to faith in Jesus. I pray, Lord, that as we do this, as we step out into the world today and face the office, face our studies, face ill health, whatever it is tomorrow, Lord, that we would go in strength knowing that you are with us and we are never alone. In Jesus' name, amen.